Welcome to the Leadership Window Podcast with Dr. Patrick Jinks. Each week through a social sector lens, Patrick interviews leaders and experts and puts us in touch with trends and tips for leading effectively. Patrick is a board-certified executive coach, a member of the Forbes Coaches Council, a best-selling author, award-winning photographer, and a professional speaker. And now, here's Dr. Patrick Jinks. So I don't know about you, but for me, the last six weeks, the first six weeks of 2024 only took about a week to actually play out. It was amazing. I've never seen it. Six weeks happened in one week. That's how it feels to me. Although I was talking to a friend and colleague the other day who said that January was the longest. What did they say? Uh, January was the um the longest year in their life or something like that. Like it, to them, it felt long, but there was sickness in the family and these kinds of things. I don't know. For me, it just blew by and February has blown by. I don't know. I can't keep up, but uh, we move on and there's a lot of really, really cool things happening before we get into the content of today's show. Uh, I do want to, I'll, I'll do this at the front end and the back end. I don't want people to miss this. We have now launched uh, an online coaching training course. So if you followed us and you've become intrigued with the concept and skill set around coaching, we've got something for you. And it's for two primary audiences. One is people who either have a coaching business or they're aspiring to create a coaching practice. So professional external coaches, we're talking leadership coaching, by the way, not health coaching or performance coaching or any of that, but leadership coaching, uh, this course is for you. If on the other hand, you are not looking to have your own practice, but you want to develop the skills you need to apply coaching to your leadership toolkit inside your organization. So you're a leader or manager and you want to coach your employees effectively and appropriately. This course is also for you. It's a 30 hour online on demand at your own pace course, just go to the leadersperspective.com and uh, you'll see a link to the course there. It's called OLCT or organizational leadership coaching training. It's 30 hours. You walk away. It's by the way, it's intensive. This is not just one of those, you know, keep clicking next until you've seen all the videos and then you get a certificate. This is interactive. There's work for you to do because you actually walk away, not just with a certificate, but a cert certification. So you will leave this course TLP certified, the leader's perspective certified in leadership coaching. doesn't mean you work for the leader's perspective or any of that, but it does mean you have a, at least a coaching company certification badge that adds to your credibility and your skill set. My first certification was with leadership systems, for example. Um, when they had, because they have similar programming as well, we've promoted it on this show a lot. Uh, Dr. Jim Smith at, at uh, leadership systems, but this is not board certification or ICF code uh, certification, but it is TLP certification. And here's the big part. This is the kicker this is what we're, I think we're most excited about the 30 hours will count toward any required hours that the Center for Credentialing and Education requires in order to pursue board certification, to get that BCC, Board Certified Coach, letters after your name. So some depending on your level of education and experience, you may only need 30 hours. You may need 60. You may need 120. 
this course that we've now uh, delivered counts toward 30 of those required hours. So it's uh, accredited. I don't think that's the word they use, but it is an approved, we are an approved certified training provider with the Center for Credentialing and Education. So if you want to know more about that, again, go to theleadersperspective.com, click on the link, it'll be on the homepage, and um, and check it out. And just reach out to us if you have any questions about it. it. It's 30 hours, but it's not something you can sit down and just go through in 30 hours. There's, there's coaching assignments, there's actual one-on-one coaching experiences, there are uh, activities, there are quizzes, there's a final exam, um, but we, we fully prepare you for it. And it's immersive. It's, um, there's a little bit of learning style in it for everybody. If you like video and, and visuals, we got you covered. If you like audio, we got you covered. If you learn through challenging quizzes, we got you covered. If you learn by doing and hands-on, we got you covered. So you won't be bored in this program. We're going to be talking about it more and more probably on this show and on our YouTube channel, just to make sure that people are aware about it, aware of it. So if you're not interested, but you know, someone who might be point them there as well. All right, there's the, there's the promo. Let's get to the real good stuff. Ron, my good friend, Ron Harvey is back with us. Uh, with Global Core Strategies and Consulting. Uh, if you are a listener to this show, a subscriber to this show, you've heard Ron. He's he's my repeat guest. He's the guy that comes on about once a quarter, I guess now is what we're shooting for, is if I can get him over here. And uh, Ron is on uh, our advisory board at the Leader's Perspective because he has a Leader's Perspective. He, he has a truly a global um, coaching and consulting company that deals with a lot of different avenues and sectors from government, government to nonprofit to business. He does everything from helping small business startups to, um, lighting up a crowd with a keynote leadership, uh, speech. And he gives me tons of counsel and mentorship as an advisory board member. And just as a friend, and I bring him on because I, I, I got to say this, this is the, these are the fun episodes for me because we're, we're not, they're not scripted. We just, we sit down and we talk kind of like we do if we're eating Mexican food or drinking coffee or anything like that. So Ron, thanks for coming back over. It's a little bit of a trip across town for you, but you're back here in the studio with us and we're always thrilled to have you, man. Hey, appreciate it. And, and I'll probably put friendship first and then all the other stuff for us. So good call. That's I fair. continue to show up uh, because of the friendship. So thank you for having me. Well, I, you know, the, here's the problem is the payment's going to come due at some point and you're, you know, I owe you, I think a lot for all the, it. Seriously. You've, you've really been a, a huge value add to me uh, and, and to the work we do and we've partnered and it's, it's just been wonderful to see. Um, Hey, t- what's going on in your world these days? What's got you busy? Hey, I'm probably like you, Patrick. Um, January seems like a whole year just went by super fast. Um, mm. Other than that, I mean, things are going well. It is going fast. Um, and we're figuring out, you know, as the world changes globally, what, what, where do we play a role in making a difference? Um, which for us, people always matter. And people have become more of a challenge in workplaces. And hopefully we'll get into some of those conversations about the people part of the businesses that we get to support. Yeah. Yeah. Any huge, big projects taking up a lot of your bandwidth right now, or is it just a lot of varied things? Yeah. Well, probably two major projects where we work with an organization that that spends a lot of time in rural areas um, helping educate the children of the farmers. 
which I never really thought about until this company wow. really reached out because those farmers are in rural areas. They're not in areas where, where big schools are. They're usually in remote locations and someone has to educate them. So we're working with a company that, that works across 10 states that makes sure those those kids of those farmers um, re- remain educated and competitive. So I love doing that. The other, wow. yeah, Let's so, talk offline about who that is and what you're doing because that comes up in our work all the time. Yes. Um, rural education rural access to yes. things like transportation, healthy foods, um, particularly broadband internet. Yes. And yes. that learning thing. So yeah, I'm, yeah. that's, that's uh, intriguing. Yeah, that's very intriguing. I, I love it. I mean, it's, it's migrant workers um, and their children. So we, we love that, you know, we got selected and really someone found us and, and we got in and had a chance to work with this company. So it's a partnership. The other thing that we're constantly doing is, is in a small business space. Something that I'm really happy about is we cover about, about 47 states of just helping entrepreneurs figure out how to become entrepreneurs, how to start, how to build, how to scale and stay in business. And that's probably given me more satisfaction. And I love everything that I do, but to watch someone build, you know, some kind of cash flow, if you will, or wealth for their for what they normally wouldn't have done. I love doing that. Watching people build their dream. That is incredible. I'm coaching uh, an individual right now who is um, a, a little bit a little bit out of my space, my normal space of yeah. the sector and work that I'm coaching in, but um, is is running a business sort of on the side that is plenty that sounds um, like it could stand on its own. But, but at that point of, man, can I, can I go over the, can I get it over the top and make this thing like really fly? And when you know how to, you know, when you're a graphic designer or when you're a tech specialist or when you're a leadership coach, right? You, those are the things you're good at, but running a business and scaling it, particularly when you start having to actually hire people yes and you're, you've scaled to that point it people are, I mean, that's a. That's a thing. Most people are like, I don't know how to do any of that stuff. So they're intimidated by it and they just stop. Yes. Well, I, I was there 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. I knew nothing about running a business, you know, with the military background. I didn't learn how to run a business. And when I started it, you know, I had to start at score and just figure out, you know, how to do the things that's fundamentally sounds easy now because I know how to do it, but how to just keep your money separate. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. and you can't pay for something out of your pocket and, and think that you can use it as a business expense. So they're just things I've learned, you know, that that's super important because people are good at their skills, but it's the business part that destroys people. This uh, coaching training program that I just uh, talked about, there's a segment, there's a section in there on running a practice. Yes. And one of the things that we cover, not, we don't cover this like in depth, but this is the section where we want people at least exposed to the kinds of things they're going to need to start looking at if they're talking about running a practice. But yeah, I, I remember that we, we started our business as an LLC. Yes. It today, we actually switched it over when we, when we moved from Virginia down here, we switched it to a sole proprietorship. Yes. I don't have any employees. I do have some adjuncts and I do have some, as you, you know, as I've talked about you like advisories, but, um, there are tax implications for those things, right? The, uh, the sole proprietorship, you talk about pulling out your credit card and buying (laughs) something, put it on as a sole proprietor, you do that, but you still have to be able to separate. You better, you better have an accounting system that you can track every transaction as either a personal one or a business one. And yes, you should have a business account and all those kinds of things, but it's very different from say a partnership or an escort or, you know, so 
just those technical things intimidate people. They're like, I don't know anything about it. So uh, they just want to do what they do, Patrick. They want to do the thing they do well and they can, but then they have to hire someone that's going to do the things that's required that they don't do well. You know, and the laws have changed. Even when you think about a contract or an employee, that's became a little bit more trickier this year. Yeah. How, How so? Because there are rules that say if a person is doing this, if you're giving them too many instructions or if you're giving them a schedule, if you're giving them this, regardless of what you may want to call them, mm. if they're treated like an employee right. or do things like an employee, they're an employee. Yeah. Do they, do they have a desk in your yes. office yes. and hours? And yeah, that's yeah. right. That's right. Yeah. Department of Labor has cracked down on that. So it's worth it. If you haven't looked at it and you're running a business and you got contractors versus employees, yeah. take a look at it this year because it's changed. Now, are you, do you spend time, I should already know this, but how much time do you spend with with the small businesses on the technical stuff. Are you able to, are, are you a teacher of those kind of technical things or are you more focused on just, you know, their, you know, their, their career dreams, their, their business aspirations kind of thing? Yeah. Phenomenal question. The program that we run is a four week program. Um, and we run that four week program teaching the technical in the leadership piece of it. So there are two components of it is, is literally, you know, the, the banking, the marketing, the communications, if you will, your website designs and, and looking at supply supply chain, you know, so all those things that, that actually get, how do you open up a store? How do you put your banners up in your marketing, marketing stuff in there? So the technical is inv- invested in there, but then we do the people side as well. So the last week is all people piece of it. The first two weeks is all business aspect. We have a tax advisor on there. We have a marketing advisor that's on there. We have a website person. We got someone that talks about sales. Where should you put stuff? If you're running a restaurant, how long do you get to keep stuff on the shelves? So all that is built into the first three weeks. Let's let's promo that a minute. Is this a, is this how is what's the delivery format for this? It's on all site. Virtual. Is it all virtual? It's all virtual. All virtual. Is it on demand or is it? No, we we run through a, a synchronized. Company. Yeah, we run through an organization. Uh, the bigger company above us that that we are partnered with is called Brookfield Properties. And Brookfield Property owns a lot of commercial retail space, especially malls. They own Columbiana. And what they want to do is how do they get people that want to be in business and they're changing the landscape? Malls are trying to figure out how to stay in malls Um, because, you know, of course, people order a lot online. It's a challenge and they know it's a challenge. So what they say is, well, who can we attract to it that has never been in the mall as a tenant? And so what they're doing is they paid for the entire program for them to run through it. Our company is totally responsible for all the training. They're responsible for bringing all the participants to the program. We built out a four-week program for them to run everybody through that they weren't thinking of at first. And I say, hey, we can partner, but here's what we think is relevant. So we run the entire program for four weeks for them virtually. Doesn't cost the participants anything, Patrick, which is phenomenal. And if they go through the course and they're really, really in good shape, the company actually will help them get into a location at a different rate, rather the, the expensive rate to start off. So okay, so to that course is specifically for people looking to have a mall presence. Yes, brick and mortar building. Here's the beauty of it. Everybody that goes through the program is not opening up a store. And that's not a requirement either. It's an interest in it. And do you want to open it? But I mean, we've run now in the last three and a half years, right about 47 states. Uh, we've run about 160 people through the program. And I would probably say we're batting an average of the about 30 stores have probably opened in that time frame. The beauty of it is the people that have gone through that program, revenue wise for the people that haven't gone through it in those in those same locations, they're actually doing much better when it comes to their finances because they've wow. gone through the program. Okay. Well, an, another conversation I want to extend <laughs> yes. offline, right? <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. That's great. Um, I, I'd, I'd love to get into, you know, what we've done in the past is just talk with each other on this show about things that we're coming across as of late, right? In our yes. coaching and our consulting, our conversations with people. 
What do you find yourself mostly helping people with today in terms of challenges? What keeps coming up? What's what's shown up more more times than not is workforce environment or culture. To be, um, companies are having a very tough time with cultures right now, whether people want to be in the office and if they want to be in the office, if, if it's a hybrid or if it, is it four days a week or is it three days a week and, and what hours and do I have to be to my desk and the lunch breaks? And then, and, and then how do you, how do you communicate with these people with five generations in the workforce? We get more phone calls about culture in the workplace. And what I mean by that is, is it, is it healthy? Is it productive? Do people feel valued? Do people really want to work there? You know, all those things that, that how people feel when they're in your place of employment. That's probably the biggest call. We had, um, if you haven't heard this yourself, Ron, you'll want to go back and listen to the episode a couple of years ago, I guess, with Michael and Audrey Sahota, mm-hmm. uh, authors of the book Leading Beyond Change. And a really good book and really good perspective on the workplace. They're heavily focused on organizational culture. Yes. And their their whole thing is, you know, it's not customer first. It's not donor first. It's employee first. Put them first and everything else will take care of itself because they will put everybody first. And they have a culture model in their book that I, I it's it's not rocket science but it's pretty simply profound yes that says culture is sort of two sides now in my in my phd studies in organizational yes. leadership we defined culture as the way we do things around here yes okay yes. there's there's your big heavy academic <laughs> definition of it the way we do things around here because you hear a word like culture what does that mean in Absolutely. an organization that's eh, some nebulous ceo talk we yes. don't know what that is we just we just know that we don't get paid enough yes. that's culture yes Right. I don't know what this 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 buzzword they're using for culture and value. All we know is uh, nobody communicates with us. That's culture. You know, all we know is um, nobody's willing to make a decision around here, or p- people are people hoard knowledge around here because they're scared of it. So you you start having these conversations with them, and and you help them realize you're talk. You, congratulations, you're having a conversation about organizational culture. So the two sides that Sahoda talks about is the, that the Sahotas talk about is there's a consciousness side of culture. Yes. And then there's a um, structure side or a behavior side. And the question is always, does the audio match the video? Yes. Your consciousness, those are things like your stated values and your organizational identity and purpose and all those big nebulous <laughs> things. And then um, the behavior though is, what does it actually look like on the ground? Yes. And so we've started doing, and I've got a list here of things to talk offline with you about. We've started doing culture mapping with organizations in, in coach, like pretty, pretty intense, wide open, vulnerable coaching conversations with teams yes. around what's, what's actually going on and how do you want it to be? So we create a culture map on what's the, we, you're, the consciousness side is easy. Well, we want to be honest and we want to be transparent. We want to, the, when you get down to, well, how do you want to make decisions in this company? What, you want to just be able to make them on your own and, and not answer it? No, yeah. no, no, we don't want that. Well, tell us how the, and they define the process that they think they would like to see. And we build a culture map. And it's, it's, it's been an incredible process for organizations that we've walked through. So it's like, oh, we, we get to decide what our culture is. <laughs> yes, like, yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. That's what you're doing now. You're yes. living in the culture you created. Yes. Yes. And that's, that's probably the biggest, the biggest thing. I mean, one of the things I learned, if you, if you, 
intentional about creating a culture. You can be consciously competent. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. if you don't spend the time around it, you may be doing it well, but you're unconsciously competent. Mm-hmm. So you're doing it, but you don't know how you're doing it. And it, so, which means it's not, it's not wash, rinse, repeat. It's not repeatable. Well, you can't good. market it. So if I'm unconsciously and you competent. Don't, and you don't know if you're, if other people are getting it. Absolutely. Yeah, that's good. And I think some companies are really flying on that unconsciously competent more than they should be because they're looking at, and, and they may be successful, but what are they missing by just letting it happen on its own? Mm. Wow. Yeah, that's good. Um, so you, you, we were talking before we hit the record button on this show about the ongoing challenges of globalization. Yes. There's a big word for you. <laughs> and I mean, we've been talking about this. The globalization is not new. I mean, I've been hearing about this all my working life. Oh, we're now a global, you know, business is global now. Got it. But there are new challenges in each iteration of this globalization that show up for for people. Yes. What's showing up for you? You were you were saying some of that before, and I I, I want to kind of get that to our listeners. Yeah. For when you look at globalization now, is you know I'll use my sixteen year old daughter. What she has to learn today has to go beyond her own zip code. The people she's competing with, she's not next door to anymore. And when I grew up, they were in my zip code. Mm. my daughter's competing in French and, and my daughter's doing things that will say, what does this look like in Asia? Not just America. And so are we, the, the, the challenge is our workforce is still almost, you know, we have to do a mindset shift that what we're saying, if we're going to be global, we can't act like we're still local. Hmm. And I think we're losing the, the battle there because we're still portraying as though we're only doing it in Lexington or Irma or Columbia. Yeah. Like we're really reaching way past our immediate area and we're learning how to you know one of the challenges is collaborating effectively and consistently with people that you that may be your competitor but also may be your competition which means you start cooperating with the people that you normally would have competed against so what's your response to yeah i get all that ron but we are in irmo and we yes. don't we're not trying to be a global company we're just we're, we have a business that serves people in irmo and surrounding areas we're yes. proud of that we're on yelp with five-star reviews <laughs> yes yeah. Why do we need to care about globalization? Yeah. Cause I, and that's a phenomenal question. I think you should ask that question because it would drive your behavior because if, if that's the case, think about COVID. If it wasn't for globalization, how many people suffered in COVID because they were so local and you couldn't get stuff off of ships that you couldn't get stuff that you normally could get. And if it wasn't for the global market, we probably have been in worse shape, honestly, if we just depended on our own local area. Because there are things in COVID we didn't have access. Look at the, the like shelves. Like toilet paper. Like toilet paper. <laughs> Who would have thought toilet paper, you know, or bread or water? Yeah. Like the things that we think are just local, there's not a community. Here's the answer I'll probably put to that, Patrick. That we can never go it alone, which means Irmo can't do it by themselves and stay sustainable. Mm-hmm. Columbia can't do it by themselves and stay sustainable. Yeah, Like every product in every community Probably 60% is coming from somewhere else other than your community. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And, and customer access to oh things goodness. beyond, beyond you. I mean, that's, it's, it's just getting tougher and tougher to compete with. I mean, certainly is in my business. Yes. Right. I mean, you yes. can find a, you can find leadership coaching anywhere. You can find leadership coaching training anywhere. The market mm-hmm. is just flooded with it. Yes. So how am I bringing the best to people in a unique way? that they can't get absolutely somewhere else. Yeah. If you're going to be in a business, you know, for, for us, you got to have a standard 
that you're going to be the best at whatever that thing is that you offer. Yeah. And that doesn't mean I'm, 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 I'm better than Patrick. That means I'm the best that I can be yeah. because there's always going to be someone better. And I think we got to get over that. There's always someone, if you're good, someone's trying to make you not the best anymore. So they're coming after that. And that's fine. I think it's good competition, but you should always be better than you were yesterday. Yeah. I like that. It, you made me think of a, of a, something Charles Weathers said when he was on this show a couple of years ago, he and Charles, you know, Charles, yeah, and yeah, Char- Charles and I have sort of shared a space over the yes. last several years, although he's been in it much longer than I have. And, um, but he, he said, uh, Oh, something to the effect. He goes, look, here's the thing. There's enough business in, in here for all of us. All right. So we yes. don't really have to fully compete, compete. We, we sort of, this isn't, this isn't exactly how he said this part of it, but this was, I think what we were talking about is you got to compete with yourself. Yes. You have to be your best, your best. Even if you're not the best, you have to be your best. And, and yes, like you said, the best at something. But what he said was, he said, look, Patrick, he, he used me. He says, Patrick, when, when you're in a room and you're doing what you do, that, that you're in your zone and you're in high performance mode, nobody can touch you. Yep. Nobody can touch you. Yes. And he said, when Charles Weathers is on his game and he's in a room and he's bringing it, nobody can touch me. Yes. Like I'm bringing, I'm bringing the best at that moment because I'm adding value. And when, when people, and you've said this a lot, the adding value piece, when people are getting value they're if they're getting value in the moment, they're not sitting there thinking about how much more value could I be getting somewhere else? Yes. Yeah. And that's real. I I mean, for me, if people actually know, how do I stay ahead of the game or how do I stay competitive? For me, what I always say is I got to be so good at what I do that I can't be ignored. That doesn't mean I get hired every time, but yeah. if you have a conversation around leadership, I got to be so good at it that at least my name is in that conversation. Yeah, now, whether right. I'm the person that's selected or not, you know, and people say, well, Ron, what does that really mean? And I'll, I'll say, well, what sport don't you follow? And then they'll tell me, and I'll, and I'll mention a player in that sport and they'll know who it is. Yeah. I said, so how do you know that person, but you don't follow the sport? They're that good. I said, that's what we got to be. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, and I've also heard you say that, that correct me if I'm wrong on this, but that what you really want is when your name is coming up when you're not in the room. Absolutely. And, and for business owners and for people like, like you and I who are good friends, support each other, will advocate for each other, and put your name in the room. I want to be so good that so, someone says my name in the room, my feet are not in. Yeah. I, yeah. And the people are like, that makes, I say, yeah, because I want you, I want my name to be there before my feet ever land. Well, I say it all the time. Um, partly because it, it's genuine and true and partly because it lifts me to be associated with someone yes. like I do. I'm like, Hey, you know, Ron Harvey, he's on my advisory board. We know each other. We've partnered. Yes. Like, yeah, I know Ron. So yeah, me too. Yeah. <laughs> you and, know that. And that's how, that's how networks that's are business. built. That's, yeah. yeah. That really is business. But it also, it uh, go back to global. It shows that we can work together. Right. And bigger companies, quite honestly, Patrick want us to work together. Yeah. They well, want to see that you and I can come together yeah. and deliver a service to them. And so never go alone. Never do it alone. That's right. That's right. Well, it's a requirement now. I mean, you just yes. have to, you just have to do that. Um, let me, let me throw up a couple of things that come up in my conversations a lot recently when I'm doing one-on-one leadership coaching, crucial conversations. Oh my goodness. Right. So I, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you, I've bought more crucial conversation <laughs> books and sent them to people in the last, like, I don't know, six months than ever before. Because it, it keeps coming. By the way, I will plug that book all day long. It's seminal work to me. It's it's a that crucial conversations. I don't know when it came out. Maybe even in the nineties. Yeah, the nineties. But it is uh, uh, it's it's produced by the group that um, 
Vital Smarts yep. is the name of the group. Same yes. group that did does influencer. They're heavy into research. So this is all research based, yeah. but written in a way that people can actually understand it. And I think it should be required of any p- person in a leadership position. There's a handful of books that I think ought to just be required. This is one of them. But the way it comes up for me is for leaders. And, you know, I coach a lot of leaders in the nonprofit sector where there's tons of altruism motivators yes. Yes. and tons of high S's on disc, which yeah. means I have high sympathy. Yes. And it's really about the people and I don't want to hurt somebody. Yes. And I'm scared to tell them that they're underperforming or that they got to stop being toxic or that this isn't working out. Yes. And I don't know how to do it. I just can't bring myself to do it. I don't know how to have those conversations in a way that doesn't just be, just go off the rails yes. and lose it. And so obviously, you know, the crucial conversations is a model behind it, but I'm finding it a lot lately. Is it, is it me or is there, is there just a growing dynamic happening right now around crucial conversations? Does it have to do with the divisive culture or something? What, what's, is it coming up for you a lot? Yes. All the above. I think it is a very divisive culture right now across, you know, all landscapes and regardless of industry, organization, city, it, we're very divisive and we're less forgiven. We, we really, if, if you like cross someone now, you're going to work really, really hard where, where my ancestors, Hey, we shake hands and have a beer over it and we're back to good. People don't do it as quickly anymore. So I think it's very divisive. Um, and we've lost the art of effective communication because technology, we, we're not engaging each other as much as we used to face to face. True. So it's, we can hide behind technology. There's some real bullies on technology. I mean, they are bold and brave. And, and but if you talk to them face to face, you probably wouldn't hear half of that stuff. Yeah, yeah you wouldn't. It, but so we've become bold with technology, but we're not having real conversations, eyeball to eyeball, belly button to belly button about things that can change for us. We, we sit behind us in emails or we'll send a text message or, or we'll put it on social media and hope they see it or someone else tells them about it. So unfortunately, technology, as great as it is, and I advocate for it, it will never replace human connection. Well, I agree, but I'm going to spend the rest of the show now getting uh, belly button to belly button out of my head um, as a visual. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for that. Never heard that one. Um, yeah, no, I, it, what's interesting though, about what you're talking about is it's almost opposite. Like, yes, we are less forgiving, but it, it's, it's like, we won't, we won't say why we won't, yes. we won't articulate it. We'll just, we'll just harbor it well, and we'll, we'll, it, you know, it's passive aggressive or it's just, I'll ignore it and maybe it'll go away. The key is you gotta have the conversations, but in a productive way. And that's where people are struggling. Yeah. I don't think people learn how to, to address conflict. Like think about it. Where do you professionally learn how to deal with something that's high stakes, costing you a lot. You're frustrated. You're irritated. They're not performing. You're upset. You're angry. They're late all the time. Where did you learn to have that conversation in a healthy manner to, to leave people intact? Mm. There, there, so you got to go to crucial conversations, which, you know, it's funny you, you bring it up, but there are more organizations asking for us to do that same content in the, you know, I served in the military. And when I came out, it was required for every leader to go through that course. We actually built the entire course around that book. You had to go through it in order to be a leader. Sure. It was, it was because it's in the military, it can be life or death. Right. Yeah. Every senior oh, we've leader. We've talked about that. Yeah. That's they had right. to know how you to be clear. You got to be clear. You, you got to be able to hold people accountable and you still got to leave people intact. You know, the military has this thing, be fair and impartial reward and punishment. That's mm-hmm. we take an oath that says that, yeah. which means you got to be fair and you still got to reward people and you still got to you know hold people accountable, which is a punishment piece of it. But they don't want you to destroy people because holding me accountable don't mean destroying me. Right. 
No, it, 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 if it's done well, it lifts me. Yes. It develops me. It strengthens yes. me. There's another uh, book that we refer to a lot uh, that's newer uh, called Radical Candor. I haven't seen that one. Oh, it's really good. Um, Kim Scott. Okay. And it's a quadrant. And it she, she basically talks about the four quadrants of communication. Yes. And the x-axis is, uh, I don't know if this is the right word, but caring. Mm. And the y-axis is directness. Yes. So I can be direct and care. Yes. And what happens is if I'm not direct and I don't care, <laughs> right? That's You don't want to be in that quadrant. No. If I'm if I'm very direct, but I don't care, well, then I'm just an a-hole. Yes. Yes. Right? We've worked for those guys. <laughs> if I, if I am, if I care a whole lot, but I'm not direct, that's the quadrant that the title, that, that not the title of the book, the next quadrant is the title of the book. This quadrant where I, I care a lot, the empathy is high, the caring yeah. is high, but the directness is low yeah. because I, because I care, care so, so much. much. That's what she calls ruinous empathy. Hmm. And then if I put the directness with the care and I put them together and I treat them both, you know, as mutually accountable and, and then, then I'm in the radical candor yes. quadrant. Yeah. And, and it's really good because this, I think this ruinous empathy is what I see a lot. Yeah. I think you see it, you see it everywhere. I mean, you look at, as, as we we raised children where my parents would hold me accountable, they cared enough to make sure I did what was right. Now you starting to see where people care so much that they're not holding their, their kids responsible, you know, for being respectful, for being on time, for dressing properly, for saying the right thing and not saying them. they're just things that that as a human being, let's just get past all the other things that we want to say as a human being. Here's what I here's what I said in the room once time and, and I'll use it here. We're, we're we're preparing the world to be better for our children. Most of us are focusing on how do we make the world better for our children? Mm. Are we making sure our children are better, better for, the, for world? the world? That's so good. Yeah. And, yeah. And what does that look like from the human part of it? So when you're looking at leadership, if we're making the organization better, are we making the people better for the organization? Yep. Yep. That's good. Um, what are your, what are your tips for that? How, how does someone go from other than reading the book? How, what, what would you say are the top, maybe one or two things to maybe start thinking about differently? in order to strengthen our competency of having those challenging conversations that need to happen? Yeah, I will, I will say, Patrick, I mean, it's a phenomenal question. I would first say, what do you owe people to be better? Say that again? What do you owe people for them to be better? What do you owe them? Yes, as a leader, there's a certain level that I think, you know, my son and I, we talk all the time. Oh, yeah. And he says, Dad, thank you for, for holding me accountable for the things that I should have done and should be doing. And, and that part of it is that we have a really healthy relationship, but it, it's, it's hard when you're going through it that they don't see it. But I think leaders do owe people something for, for them to be better. And if you're that person that's not holding me accountable, at some point I'm probably going to resent you because I'm going to feel like you didn't do what you should have done for me to be better. So having me, you know, like my daughter, make her own bed, help do the dishes, keep her room clean. Those are life skills. You know, so when we get past what her job is going to be, those skills will transfer into her job. And so I think leaders ought to make sure that they're holding people accountable so they can be a good, productive human being. So when they get a leader like me that's going to hold them accountable, they're not so frustrated and want to quit the job because I'm doing my job. Uh, really good. And, and as you were, as soon as you started talking about it, it, I figured out what you meant by what do we owe. I was with uh, Gage Weeks at the Hollingsworth yes. Funds in Greenville. And Gage brought this up 
I think the book is CEO Excellence. Yes. Okay. Familiar with it. Yes. And he brought this up, and the and these are, it's not worded as this is what you owe. Yes. But but I think it's the same thing, that as a leader, and in this case a CEO, there are four things you owe your people mm. to uh, help them be successful. Yes. All right. And one is you got to be clear up front about the role, goals, objectives, parameters, the expectations got to be clear up front. You owe that to your people. You owe that to your people. Don't ask for your people to be great, do great things if you haven't laid out parameters for them and set the expectations that are agreed upon. The next is make sure they have the resources to do what they need to do. So you've got, you owe it to them to equip them with the resources they need. Yes. Don't ask them to do the impossible and the organization is not going to back you and give you what you need to be able to do it. The third is you've got to give people time and space to execute. Yes. Yes. These are pretty simple, yes. right? But they're profound. And then the fourth one is we owe it to our people to show them the implications of success and failure. Yes. As well as, I add this one, as well as connection to the bigger picture. Absolutely. How does what I'm asking you to do or expecting you to do connect it's part of self-determination. I, I need to feel related to the mission. I need yeah. to feel like I have a place that's meaningful in this whole map of the organization. So uh, be clear, provide the resources, provide time and space, and help them see the implications of if we succeed, that's vision. Yes. And if we fail, that's consequence. Yes. And I think we got to be able to connect the consequences to every decision. You know, my son said it this morning to me, he said, Dad, you, you really did a really good job of helping me understand what I may take three seconds to respond to can destroy three years of my life. Wow. Yeah. And and he said, it helped me become more. He said, I've learned how to be more resist the urge to respond immediately. And I'm more patient. Yeah. He says, I, I know how to, I know how to restrain myself better now. And how many conversations do you wish you would have restrained yourself? I was in an interview. I was interviewing for a, a job, my first United way job. 1994. I'm always amazed how good your memory is. And I'm sitting there and I've always prided myself in being, a, I call myself an amazing interviewer yes. on both sides, <laughs> on both sides. I'm, I'm a good interviewer. I yes. love it. I just, I, I can, I can win. I've gotten jobs I didn't qualify for because I was, I killed the interview. Yes. But in this case, I was, I guess, trying too hard to kill the interview. And she would ask me these questions and I'd just start, well, because blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and she, she stopped me. She, she held up her finger or her hand and she just says, she goes, Patrick, I don't, I don't mean to be rude. I really don't. I want to cut you off. But she said, when I ask you a question, it's okay to think about your answer before you start talking. And it got silent just like that. And I was like, what do you like? Why are you saying that to me? She goes, I, I just, you, you're, you're, you're good. You're giving me good answers, but I want better answers. And I think you can give me better answers if you slow down and think about it. So it's okay to pause. It's okay if there's a little silence between my question and your answer. And that was some of the best mentoring yes. I've ever gotten <laughs> in my life is you don't, you know, it's okay to pause. In yeah. fact, it draws people in. If I'm, you know, I mean, think about it for, for our listeners right there, for our listeners listening right now. And if you've tuned out, right. Cause you're, I don't know, getting a pack of gum or something, yeah. whatever. If you tuned out, stay, get, Hey, get it. Let me get your attention for a second. I want you to I want you to see what this feels like. Okay, are you ready? Yes. 
what does that feel like? You're sitting there, you're, I mean, you want to know what's next, right? Yes. That's all. It's just silence. It's one of our 10 rules of coaching in our course. Silence yeah. is golden. It, it, Ask the question. And then, and if the coachee is doing the work that your son is learning to do, they're going to pause and think about it before they start spitting out some answer. Let's get the right answer, not a quick answer. Yeah. It's amazing. You know, when you ask the question, you know, what are some of the things, and, and as we're having this conversation, what comes up? Feedback. She paused you immediately and gave you healthy feedback, accountability. In like, the moment. In the moment. And it can feel crucial, but it was crucial because she wanted the, the best answer, not the fastest answer. Then you, you mentioned Patrick, listen, mm. like just not to respond, not to be the one that feel like you're the smartest or the brightest. The other thing I think leaders can really do for, for their workforce is how do you intentionally create space for other people to be brilliant? Because people want to feel like they're adding value. They want to feel like they're making a difference to the bottom line. But are we getting out of the way enough? No, I look at, I look at, look at your son, Clayton, and the stuff that he does. I mean, you intentionally make space for that dude to feel good and be good. Your company wouldn't be what it is if it wasn't for you doing that. No, that's right. That's right. Yeah. It's intentional, though. It's not like, oh, because uh, I can't do it. It's because, oh, because you're that good. I'm going I'm to move out the way. Hey, son, teach me that. Yeah. Well, and he, he, he asks me explicitly for some of those things that we just talked about. Yeah. Like you get, here's, here's something Clayton will ask for dad. Give me a deadline. Yeah. Oh, just whenever you get to it, there's no rush. On. Nope. Nope. Give me a deadline. I need a target. Yes. Like, okay. That's that clarity of expectation up front and listening and listening. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're like, no, son, we're good. He's like, no, no, no. Here's what works for me. You're not hearing me. Yeah, you're not hearing me. I know I know I'm your son, but I want this makes me more productive and more effective. Yeah, yeah. So if you really listen to people, well, here's what I tell leaders all the time. When you're in a leadership role, if you really want to be successful at leading people, they should be able to deliver to you what the recipe is. I know the best way to lead me. I know what I need and what I don't need. And I won't know all the answers, but sometimes we don't even pause to listen and learn. Like Clayton say, no, give me a deadline. He gave you the recipe to success. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Robert Greene, uh, if you've heard of uh, the the laws of power, the 48 laws of power, he's got the laws of mastery, yes. the laws of seduction, um, the daily laws, all these different things. And they're really interesting. The, the laws of power, I'd never read it. I'm reading it right now about halfway through. And it's an amoral book. So he says up front that we're not trying to tell you what's moral or immoral. Yes. We're telling you what laws of power that throughout history and for every law, he gives like a historical story of how this came to play. Yes. And I think it's law number one, if I'm not mistaken, this is, this is going to be really interesting. We could have a whole, oh my gosh, we're already 40 minutes in Uh law. Number one, never, never outshine the master. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. As I thought about that, you know, and I get that. That's we're talking old school yes, power old school, here, yes. right? Yeah, right? My job's to make them look good, yes. not to outshine them yes. because then they feel threatened. And yes. by by the way, we see that today. Yes. We see leaders insecurity. That if you're working for them, you truly don't want to outshine them or yes. you'll be gone pretty quick yes. because they don't they don't they feel insecure. Yes. Right. And that's the whole point of the law. But if you flip that around to that that's that's um that's advice for the underling yes don't outshine the master yes. if i was given if i was given advice to the master i would say let your people outshine you yes in fact in fact develop and hire people that will outshine you develop 
the outshining, recognize it, be the one shining the light on. I, like, that's what I would say. Would I, would I be, is that oversimplified? I mean, I know there's this probably Look, nuance, but that's, that's how I would approach it as a leader. I think. Yeah. I think, I think we're, we're in a time now where people are looking with where they want to add value to your company. And if you have all the answers all the time, I don't see why I play a role. Then you'll find people having a hard time with retention. Nobody wants, I never showed up in an organization where I don't, I didn't want to feel like I was smart. I've never shown up in an organization where I didn't want to feel like I added or contributed yeah. and I was smart about something in the organization. So, you know, when you think about what we're asking for, we say people are our most valuable resource. Is it because they just show up to work and, and they're creating, they're helping the bottom line or is it because they're being innovative and creative and you're giving them a space to try to get it right. They get it wrong and they want to get it better. Yeah. You know, if you give, if you create yeah. space for people intentionally to be brilliant, you'd be amazed at what they do. Can you imagine what Apple does? Well, you would do things you couldn't do without them. That's the whole, yes. that's the, that's the whole point. Um, let me tell you a second thing that comes up a lot. This isn't really new. In fact, I've got a couple of podcast guests lined up right now, probably over the next, they may even be our, our next two or three episodes. So you're going to get a lot of this. Um, the pressure of leadership, particularly executive leadership and the loneliness yes. that comes with it. Yes. Um, I mean, I coach CEOs again, mostly in the nonprofit sector who are they're they're they, the weight is crushing them right now. Yes. And they're feeling personally, um, I mean, personally accountable for the success of the mission and things are going wrong and it's, it's all heavy on their shoulders and they feel alone. They feel like their boards re aren't really with them because yeah. they just come to meetings and they don't, they don't have a confidant on the staff that they can really rely on and trust. And you know, the network is limited maybe because they haven't developed it, Yes, but a lot of pressure, stress and loneliness is coming up a lot for me in the coaching world. What about you? Yeah, it's, it's coming up for us as well. And I think it's coming up, up globally. Um, if you go pull data right now, CEOs are, are are committing suicide. Mental health is an issue. Families are breaking up. They're being challenged because it's lonely at the top. And I think that's part on, on the pressure that comes with the role. But I also think it's on us. It's how do you, like you and I create time to communicate. And if there's something that we're trying to figure out, I'm in circles with other executives to make sure that I'm not on an island by myself. And that's so important that you find yourself in a room with other executives say, Hey, you know what? Me too. I get it. But that's a military trait. You know? So when we went to the top, we always had those, those circles that said, Hey, it's not just you. Here's what's really happening. And you were able to be vulnerable without getting destroyed. Unfortunately, not every organization go back to the word culture. That is safe to say, I don't know. It's safe to say I messed it up as a CEO. It's, it's not safe to do it. So organizations got to take a closer look. Is it, is it safe for me to not get it right? and still be employed by you. Yeah. So it's a culture thing again, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and, and I learned Patrick that there are two ways I, I will never ever lead. I'm never going to lead with fear. So if I got to intimidate you to get something done, I'm not a good leader for you because I'm, I'm not going to lead in fear. That's not my personality, but I'm also not going to lead with fear. I'm not going to not make a decision because I'm worried about what's going to happen to me. I'm in the role and, and I'm going to take all the things that come along with it. But the things I learned is, Hey, always leave from a place of you care versus the fear that happens around you because fear is real and it'll get in the way and make you make choices because you're worried about, you know, what's going to happen. So when I'm running my organization, you know, today in corporate America, I never walk into an organization, whether I'm going to lose a contract or not, I'm still going to make the right decision. Mm, that's good. That that's really, really good. I want to, I want to land on that one for a second. 
Um, that's come up really recently. Yeah. Do the right things that you know are the right things to do. Yes. I, I always use the CIA. Yes. Right. The C is control what you can. Yes. Don't try to control things you can't control. Control what you can. The I, influence. If I can't, if I can't unilaterally control it, where can I bear influence on a on a potential different outcome? Yes. And if I can't control it, and I can't influence it, it's not in my arena. Yes. So the A is I gotta accept it, or adapt to it. Yes. Not try to change it. Yeah. And I think that's a big part of where. Um, I think that's a good reminder. What you just said is reminding me of that. And it's a good reminder to leaders to say, or my dad would put it simply, simpler. He used to say, control what you can and roll with the rest. Yes. <laughs> and so when you feel in that pressure, and it does, it feels like the whole weight of the world is on your pressure. I work, I'm working with people who are dealing with homeless people yes. or victims of domestic violence or, you know, special needs children. I mean, these are high, high stakes here. And, you know, if the operation's not working, if I can't keep my organization staffed, if I, if fundraising is just like, you know, an abyss right now, yes. man, I feel, I take that home with me and I feel that. And it feels like the, it's on me. I'm failing all of these people that I'm trying to help. Yeah, I think, and I think what, what contributes to it more than anything, Patrick, we're super connected, but disconnected. We've lost seeing people as people. Versus a resource or a tool or some mechanism to get done what I want, to get the money that I want, to get to my dream and my destination. At the end of the day, you know, I tell people I see them as equal. And people are like, what do you mean? I say everybody on my team is equal. If I deserve it, you deserve it. I can do it. You can do it. I don't, I don't get stuck in the space of, of titles and positions. And I, even when I was in uniform, I was, I was always the same way. I say, I'm just Ron. I worked hard. I got a title. That just means I get my butt chewed first. But at the end of the day, I want you to know that we're in this together and it's a team, it's in a partnership. And I got to answer questions at a higher level. The light's a little hotter, but we're all here for the exact same thing to take care of the people that we're responsible to. Man, you, you said, I hope it's okay for me to say yes. this on the air. You shared something with me, I don't know, months ago, years ago, maybe. You said somebody asked you one time, do you prefer to be called African-American or black? Yes. And you said, Ron. Ron. <laughs> Ron. That's my, yeah. that Ron's my name. Yeah. And, and, and that, uh, cause I want them to see me as a human being. Yeah. Yeah. Just see me as Ron. That's the, I mean, and I think we get so stuck in that. I don't use titles. People, I'll be in rooms. Hey, Mr. Harvey. I say, if that's what you feel like you need to call me, it's okay. <laughs> but you can call me Ron as well. And people are like, really? I say, yeah. I say, when I walk in rooms, I want you to know that because sometimes titles and I got it, they're, they're there for a reason, but sometimes they get in the way. Sometimes that title gets in the way of people just approach. Someone was struggling. I was coaching them and said, man, um, but I, I said this and I said this and I say, you're the CEO. <laughs> and when you say it versus when I say it, it's actually going to be received different. The exact same statement. Yeah. You signed the front of the check. Yeah. Your conversation means more or can cause more collateral damage than mine can. You're not going to get rid of the title unless you change how you show up. Well, that's good. I got to come back something. So you just taught me something. You, you may not even realize the, how profound this is. You, so I've had people say Mr. Jinx or even Dr. Jinx now, right? So, oh, doc, and they'll just keep saying it. Oh yes, Dr. Jinx. And I go, please, please don't come. Please call me Patrick. Yes. Okay. Just call me Patrick. You said it differently. Yes. And I want to, I want to, I want to hit on this. You said, if, if you're comfortable, if that makes you comfortable calling me that you you can't, you can also just call me Ron. Yes. 
I love that approach because some people do need to call you Mr. Harvey. Yes. They're trained to do that. It's part of their culture. It's part of their value system. It's a respect thing. It's a deferential thing. Yes. It is a, I earned it and I want people to call me that. So I'm going to give it to you. Yes. And so to tell someone not to call you that is a struggle for them. That is so, I never thought about that. It's a struggle because you're exactly right. You know, depending on what culture, depending on where they grew up, what generation, there are a lot of people that are taught that. And it's a thing of respect. And some people don't think it's a thing of respect. Some people think it's a thing of lowering the bar and making them seem higher than you. So there are a lot of reasons for it. That's right. So what I figured out is how do I say, hey, here's what I'm okay with, but I want you to do what you're okay with. And I'll tell you what I get that from Patrick and, and people, if you're listening, this is what I use all the time. My job is to meet people where they are, regardless of what my expectation is at that moment. Right. I can retrain them. But if I don't meet them where they are, I can never retrain them. Right. And you can't meet them where they are if you are insistent Bingo. that they come to you. Absolutely. Into your box. You're into gonna have your to go style. To them. Yes. You got to go to them. You got to go right. to them. And leaders always go to their people. That's, that's, right. that's I mean, when you're thinking about if you want to talk to your child and your child is struggling, you know the best place to talk to them? In their room. Yeah. Yeah. In their room. In their room. Yeah. Because your room carries a certain level of authority yeah a certain level of intimidation regardless yeah. whether you want it to or not it's so just good. different or to put them at the dinner table when everybody's there oh yeah yeah and right across from you so now i feel like i'm being interrogated by the fbi well and that's so easy to carry over into the workplace yes. you know hey will you come see me a minute we need to talk about something yes. versus walking into the office and say hey can i do you have a second can i can i have a seat or would like like to chat about something yes. that's a whole different thing yes and that's so good and actually, it takes me into the the last thing I wanted to talk with you about. There's an assessment that I like to use. It's my favorite. It's my favorite assessment. It's one of them. It's one of two. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the emotional intelligence assessment. Yes. Yes. And I, we won't go into all the whole emotional intelligence framework. Uh, if you're if you're interested in knowing what it really is and not just assuming that you know because you know what the words emotional and intelligence mean, um, just look up anything by Daniel Goleman. And read about it. It's it is, in my opinion, the number one most critical competency or asset of a leader. Yes. You don't have this. I don't care how good a strategist you are, how good you are with Excel, how good you are, you know, at, at recruiting board members. Yes. If you don't have emotional intelligence, you're not you're not leading effectively. One of the components, and it is actually one of the components where people more frequently score a little lower mm-hmm. than the other areas is a component called that they term holistic communication. Yes. And um, what what I found is that people will score low on that. And it's not just one person. This this actually is coming up. I've been noticing a trend. They'll look at it and they'll they'll question me. They'll go, I don't understand why I scored low in holistic communication. I'm a great communicator. And and they and they probably are. Like, you know, in fact, I'm the director of communication for my, like, how do, how do I score? This is like, I'm disturbed. And what we try to show them is that holistic communication is not measuring how good a writer you are, how good a speaker you are, how well you craft your emails and how succinct they are, how, how good you are in front of a media microphone. Yes. Those are important. Those are skills. And if you're director of communication in your organization, you need those. Holistic communication, here's their definition. The ability to effectively send and receive, this is, see, already, (laughs) like send and receive information, including emotional content, genuinely and curiously listening, engaging and connecting with others, 
sending and receiving verbal and nonverbal signals constructively. So we're not talking about the, um, the, you know, the skill of being a communicator. We're talking about communicating with people with like one-on-one, like what you and I are doing right now. And we send, we, we spend far more attention on our sending bandwidth. Yes. Because we want to get it right. We want to say what we have to say. Because we know that. Yes. We spend far more attention on that than we do our receiving bandwidth. And I, I hit someone the other day with this analogy. We have fiber optics internet yes. here. And the r- reason I love the fiber optics is the upload and download speeds are the same. Yes. Mo- no, no. Cable internet's not the same. Nope. You're da- you can download a YouTube video much faster than you can upload one to YouTube. Yep. Just don't give you the same bandwidth for both. Leaders have to open up that bandwidth to where the sending and the receiving bandwidths have the same amount of space to live in. And we spend too much time on the, on the sending piece than we do on the receiving piece. That's coming up for me a lot in my coaching. Not that people are bad at it, yep. but that they're questioning what that score is measuring. Yeah. I, I have to agree hundred percent with you. And, and the reason for, I, I use, an, you know, when I'm doing workshops, when I'm speaking on stage and, and I talk about what we're talking about here, holistic communication, I have them write down the word listen. What, you know, what does that mean? And they write it down. I say, cool. Write the word silent underneath it. I say, what's unique about that? And I give out books for people that the first or two, you know, because people love gifts. That's a connection for me. And like, they have the exact same letters. I say, and what that means is that you can't listen if you can't be silent. And if you want to have holistic communication, you're going to have to be able to listen probably twice as much as you, as you talk, but you can't listen if you won't be silent and not just silent from talking verbally, shutting down the CPU and all your thoughts and the things that you want to respond with and how you want to go. So internally, most of us may not be saying anything, but we're also not listening. We're not being quiet in our heads. Now we're, we're, we're still talking yet. And that's a huge challenge. Um, you know, as good as the iPhone is, when you talk about the bandwidth and you talk about fiber optics, regardless of, of, of I tell people, you know, regardless of how good the iPhone is, there's one thing that can absolutely make it a paperweight <laughs> in, in less than five seconds. And they do it every time you get on the airplane before it takes off. Put it on airplane mode and shut off all your Wi-Fi. How many leaders are in organizations with their being on airplane mode and the Wi-Fi is off, but they want to connect with us. Regardless of your degree, regardless of your title, regardless of your tenure, regardless of your position, regardless of what you can do for me, if you don't have a connection with me, the transfer never happens. Wow. It never happens. So when you think holistic communication, that transfer is what you said, send and receive. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Most leaders are disconnected, and they want to transfer still, fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters and relationships and communities, most of us lose connection and we're still trying to communicate and transfer data. Yeah. And that goes back to the beginning of our conversation. We were talking about uh, technology and we've talked about this a lot. I've talked about, uh, talked about it a lot on the show. I'm still fighting, you know, tooth and nail. I'm still kicking and screaming (laughs) on zoom meetings. I am. I host them all the time. I I'm on them. I have to have them. I mean, I don't have a choice. Yes. But when I do have a choice, we're meeting in person. Absolutely. I'm just, I, you know, it, we're the connection we're losing is I I don't, we're going to, we're, it's going to show up in a big, it's going to show up like a nuclear weapon. It really yeah, is the, yeah. this loss of connection that we're experiencing right now. I, 
we got to find a way to preserve yeah. it and protect it and focus on it. Yeah, which is why I mean, you think about, you know, you say it's a commute over. The connection is important. The drive is easy. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a no-brainer. Yeah. But, but that connection that you're having with other people to help you become better than you were, think differently than you think, to pour into you while, they, while you pour into them, that, that is, for, for me, I'm a, I'm a connector. I'm a, I'm a person that loves relationships, and, and I love to be with people. Because that's where I get to really transfer. They get to really see what I what may, may not pick up on Zoom. Yeah. They get to hear things and watch my body language that you won't pick up. So people that listen to us, viewers in the room, Patrick and I, you would see us doing all kind of different movements that lets us know we're engaged into it, that it was intriguing. Yeah, I actually have to remember that because when, when you're here, when I have anyone actually in the studio, we do a lot of our yeah. shows on Zoom or whatever. And because, uh, you know, we're talking to people all over the world. But when you're here, uh, we're in the studio and I, it's a it's a much more intimate conversation. It yeah. sounds better. The quality is better. The connection is better. You're right. Yeah. But I then forget. I'll, I'm, I'll sit here and, you know, I was talking about that quadrant a while ago yes. and I'm drawing it in the <laughs> yes. air. You can see, I can it, see it, but the, the people on the. But I think they can feel it yes. because it's a we're connecting in a different way. Yeah. And uh, man, that's so good. Uh, gosh, I don't want to end this one, but I will because I know you've got some other things um, on your plate for the day. But just leave us, I guess, Ron, with with sort of a word for 2024. We're in we're in, you know, man, the rate of change just keeps on getting faster and faster and faster. Yes. That seems like the time itself moves faster and faster. I know it's not. But um, what what do you think is the is. What's a big key you think everyone could really pay attention to to be successful in 2024 to grow? I'll tell you, I'm, I'm working on a, on a book um, and I'll, you know, I'm over here with Patrick, so I'm going to let the title out um, and to answer your question. I've really spent a lot of time, I do an activity and what's been showing up for me is this thing called impact leadership. Hmm. If you're in a leadership role, what's the impact you are trying to have and what is it going to require? And I'm spending so much time, and it's not my it's not my technical skills anymore, Patrick. It's sympathy, it's listening, it's trust, it's honesty, it's collaboration, all the stuff that has absolutely nothing to do with my skill set. Absolutely nothing to do with it. And for I think about the people that, but it's had, the stuff that has the impact. It's, is what it's you're the saying. stuff that's having the impact. When I think of the leader that had the most impact on who I who I am today, it wasn't because of their degree, and it wasn't because of they were intelligent. Now I'm not yeah. saying they weren't, but what I think about when I look at my mom or I look at my sister, or I look at my dad, it was, they were understanding. They were compassionate. They had some sympathy. They cared about me. I never talk about their degree and I never talk about their job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I I'm, 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 my brain is going to my own parents. I'm sort of start, starting to think about that. I do think about, you know, my dad's degree at Mississippi state and he was a major in the U S army, but that's not those, those aren't, I say those things out of a matter of fact and even pride. Yes. But those aren't the things that come to mind that say that's the influence he had on me. Yes. The impact he had on me. Hey, folks, this is why we have Ron come back every once in a while. <laughs> I, I get stuff I can take to my workshops and sound like an, uh, uh, a genius. Ron, thanks, man. Thank I appreciate you. it. Love you, brother. Love and you, brother. Um, hey, folks, uh, you know what to do. Go back and rewind and listen to this whole episode again and take notes. Lead on.